Welcome to Through the Pages, your bookish podcast where we read classics and ramble on about them endlessly in an attempt to make them more approachable. All of those 100 books you must read before you die that everyone must read top 50 books lists can be daunting to say the least, at least for us. So we thought, why not embark on this journey together? (laughs) I think the most difficult thing is getting into it because we chat for a good half hour before we Mm -hmm. actually start recording. Yes. Which maybe we should stop so we can actually take... Well, no, because then we would just take lots of unnecessary stuff into the episode that you don't actually have to or want to hear. Yeah, that's true. Because I, I mean, you can you can see that with other podcast people as well that they usually struggle with the intro, and now I understand why because it's actually the most difficult part. Yeah, just because it doesn't really come very natural. We don't really have a script as such. Yeah, exactly. So it's usually a bit. The only things we have are like notes that we need to decipher once we start talking about the book, <laughs> which are very interesting for this one anyway. Yes, um, if you hadn't already realized from the title, we're going to be discussing Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf, yes. um, which I for one was really chuffed, um, was picked by the randomizer because it's one that's been on my list for forever, for yeah, a good few years. And for some reason, again, just never, just never came around to reading it. Yeah. Had you read something of hers? before yes i read to the lighthouse while i was at uni Mm. Mm -hmm. so i knew i was familiar with her writing style oh yeah and actually i read um a room of one's own as well Mm. um which is her feminist essay um so i was familiar with her writing style but especially in fiction i think it's very recognizable um and i remember actually i mean to the lighthouse that's a good few years back now lol because i'm old but (laughs) but um but i remember starting to the lighthouse and not really clicking with it at all and then as i kept reading it again and again it really grew on me okay um so yeah which was an interesting an interesting um experience because i think she has a very distinct writing style which we can talk about later but especially with the whole stream of consciousness etc um which i think on the first reading experience it can be a bit difficult to get into it and to really keep up with everything that is happening oh i found myself skipping passages because i just couldn't really get into the flow and then something really important happened in that one paragraph and i was like oh no i have to go back to understand what's happening um and i think when I read um, To the Lighthouse the second and the third time, I already knew sort of the whole structure of it. So then I could really pick up on different individual things, which really helped to put the bigger picture together. No, that's a, yeah, that's a good point because I, this was my first wolf experience and I really enjoyed it. Kind of like I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did actually, but I thought that it was really good especially with this whole inner discourse that is going on and that is that it's not like this straightforward plot but just kind of relies on the characters and especially what's going on inside the characters not just kind of the characters looked at as like a matter of fact I don't know this is a woman that does this but it's all about her internal things 
and I thought this was really good. The only thing that I struggled with a lot at the beginning is the the lack of quotation marks. So since like everything seems like one long sentence anyway, it was so difficult to like understand what was this a thought? Was this spoken? Was this like whose person's thought was it? And because the um I think for a for a book that is built with this kind of inner dialogue, there are a lot of characters. Like I if I had to write a book like that, I would probably kind of tune like turn it down on the on the amount of characters a little bit because I would probably get confused myself. But there were so many important characters as well that then it was difficult to distinguish between the different voices and if they were actually spoken or just a thought. And then after like I think halfway through I kind of got the hang of it or kind of I don't know with different cues there where you'd read and then you kind of understand oh yeah this is this person talking or this person thinking now and then it got way more enjoyable. So I also think like on a reread I would enjoy it even more because then you kind of don't have this extra hurdle to get over. Yeah I think it's a good point with the being confused while reading a little bit. It's definitely one where you have to navigate your way through or you have to go back to a certain point to be like oh who's talking or thinking or who's the main person here in this in this paragraph Mm -hmm. there's all of these internal monologues um of the characters but there's multiple characters and basically that's keep switching so we have insight into characters heads and not just one but multiple um (laughs) a really really bad comparison that i just thought of is basically (laughs) it's like (laughs) playing the sims and the little green thing on top of the sim that you play changes and it's basically that yes yes so imagine it being a group of people and then the arrow pointing down on the character just keeps switching and then we know who we're focusing on in that particular moment that is a terrible comparison and should never be used in discussing (laughs) literature ever again but it's what I just thought of but it gets the point across extremely well because that's exactly what it is and also because it yeah it jumps between characters quite seamlessly it's not as if you kind of I don't know where in like these books where you get a different point of view with every chapter it's like one huge block of text and within that text yeah it kind of jumps around as if you'd be like selecting different people and like looking into their head for like a few paragraphs or a few lines which I think the sims one is a good comparison I like that because it's so it's actually so true (laughs) but yeah no that's that's true I also thought what was quite um interesting is that when you or when I start started reading I expected the whole book to be from Clarissa Dalloway's point of view and then kind of was surprised when it jumped around which kind of started this whole confusion thing and um and then kind of now looking back it's it's kind of I think weird because the whole thing seems like is set up with this omniscient narrator and but then again like the narrator is always only in the head of one person and kind of makes you look at all the people from different people's point of view so it's like this kind of narrator that knows everything but only knows one thing at a time if you know what I mean <laughs> yeah that's very true because 
the narrators are not the characters themselves. It's like an outside, an outside um, sort of matter jumping in the individual characters. And it can really um, change very quickly, as you mentioned. So, for example, there will be two people and in the same scene we have one person's opinion and thought and then in the next line we have the other person's opinion and thought that what is going on internally so basically the reader is the the person that knows everything that is happening in that very situation but they all still have their the characters all have their individual views mhm yes yeah which, yeah which is very true it's a, it's a very interesting way of narrating I think that I hadn't yeah. really read before outside of Virginia. No, Wolf. definitely, definitely. I think that's yeah. Also, the first time that I've read something in general in that style. I think the one thing I could compare it to the mo- like the most, but not really, is um, Ulysses by James Joyce. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just kept getting very strong Joyce vibes as I was reading it. I think it's because of the whole stream of consciousness. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think they were like present or like active in the same years anyway. They belong to like the same literary movement. So it kind of made sense. But apart from like these two people or like in more recent literature, I haven't read anything like it ever. Um, We keep mentioning stream of consciousness. Should we explain what we mean by that for someone who wouldn't know (laughs) <laughs> do you want to do that? <laughs> I was like, do, do you maybe you want to go ahead? Um, so I think scream of s- scream. It's a <laughs> it's also kind of like a scream for help. It's a scream for help. It's a scream of consciousness. Um, the stream of consciousness style is basically um having. It's usually an internal monologue of um of a character and is characterized by the fact that it is very um i would say unstructured in the sense that um it is really how you would think in a specific moment imagine the way you you think and it's really trying to mirror or explain the way an individual person or human would have just Um, a string of thoughts basically and to bring that across in writing which means that it's usually very there's really long sentences there's a lot of commas um just sort of yeah it is really a string of thoughts um how they would come to a character in a very unfiltered way in a particular Mm -hmm. moment yes no I think you explained it really well because it's actually just like imagine the way you think and that like on paper yeah, which means that it's it really is characterized by that very um it has a certain flow to it and especially when you read it it really is characterized by the fact that it's really very immediate, I'd say. And I think also this kind of um these thoughts triggered by events especially in this one is I think extremely important how also then the different people interconnect because they kind of something happens and then this kind of thought gets spurred on from this person and it flows and then something else happens and you kind of jump back and I think this is a uh, works extremely well and I also think it's a way more interesting way to have 
like something like a stream of consciousness seen from different points of view because i think if you if the whole thing was just from because the book starts with clarissa dalloway's kind of thoughts and her kind of stream of consciousness and i think if it was only from her point of view for like the whole story it would get kind of boring or like it would be kind of like a, a quite a big limitation to what could actually happen because you'd only be in her head so it's like it would kind of not have any point in a way so i think if you do build a story on like these kind of different streams of consciousness i think it's very important to kind of include multiple points of view because that's what like effectively makes it interesting and i think what i like i almost like most about the book is the whole structure i really like something i think that is very particular for the book is that it is all set in one day so the book starts in the morning and ends on the same evening or the same night um there's a specific amount of characters and it is all set in london um so again it's a very sort of specific confined setting almost and i i don't know i really really enjoy reading that type of book where from the very beginning there's a really clear structure and a way you know where the characters and how the characters are going to move um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that's just very cleverly done no but that's true i i quite like this um this limited timeline and i think it kind of makes the story flow very nicely and then again the whole thing of being in somebody's head allows you to kind of make excursions to the past or to a different place because you're like in the thoughts of that person so you are in this like defined timeline but keep jumping back and to different places via the people's thoughts which i think is an extremely nice plot device to be honest yeah actually that feeds in nicely into because we always do a one sentence summary of of the book which i attempted to do yesterday late at night (laughs) so i just have a scribble here so let's see what i wrote down so i wrote a day that links the past and the present and where different people's lives spill into each other's mm. and overlap. That's good. That was that was me yesterday <laughs> at midnight. I I must admit I was quite glad that it was your turn with like the one sentence summary this time because I think I would have probably like like made up something really crap. Uh I also just wrote down one word that is memory (laughs) but i think that's just because it as you said it's definitely that um connection between past and present and different people's lives their thoughts and how they how they interact Mm -hmm. and how the the lives and thoughts overlap i'd say yes which is yeah i think uh makes also for maybe a nice point to kind of put the book into a historic context because i think that's um well apart from actually plot wise also becomes very important it's um is it like four years after the war i have in my head four years i don't know where i got this number from because i think on the day itself the the whole kind of journey of the story starts it's actually armistice day from like four years after the war 
Yeah, so the book was written in 1925 and the story takes place a few years after the after the First World War. Um, yeah, which is relevant throughout the whole book. As you said, past and present, not only relevant for the individual characters who sort of dip in and out of present day and the past and their memories of the past, but also that shift between the First World War and life as it was then and then the first world war as a just as a break a complete break between um time before and then sort of a new world um and a huge shift that had taken place and i think that sort of reflects both of that and also because throughout the whole book you're very aware of time because like virginia wolf uses the big ben clock striking as kind of like these points of reminding you, oh, by the way, it's like half past 11 now and like throughout the whole thing, which I also thought was very interesting and only realized after like a good way into the book. I was like, oh, yeah, Big Ben keeps coming up a lot. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. And I, I think it's also very neatly done how then it's that thing that you said before about different events or outside events then being a, a trigger to go from one character to the other because there are certain sounds, certain events that are heard or perceived by different characters, which then allows the narrative to jump from one character to the other because they share that moment of hearing the same clock strike, for example, even though they're in different parts of the city. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So they're kind of, yeah, they're connected by this kind of like this regular event, so to speak. Which is, again, a nice way because it's like a confined space, as you said before. That's like, it's very nice, especially if you can kind of picture the place as well to a certain degree, obviously, like in nowadays world and not in, in like back in the day. But it's very cool. Yeah. And I really enjoyed, I mean, maybe now we can get to like the individual characters yes. afterwards <laughs> so people actually know what the heck we're talking about. But what I wanted to say is just that I really, really liked the London setting. Mm hmm. Because I think there's actually even um, Virginia Woolf, Mrs. Dalloway walking tours where you can mm. walk where the different characters, where basically where all the action in oh, quotation marks happens. Yeah, which I think is something that we should do at one point when it's possible to actually walk through a city again yeah, with, yeah. with a group of people. Um, but yeah, which I thought was really cool. And because there are clear clear markers of, where characters walk through or which mm -hmm. park they're in. Um, and now having been in London for three years, I can clearly imagine yeah. and picture where they are. Which is which, amazing. Which was really cool, where it's just like, oh, <laughs> I know Regent's Park. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> no, but it's so, it's so true. If you can, There is like nothing better than if you can picture where certain things are happening. It just makes the whole experience so much nicer to read especially if like the place is like has such an important standpoint within the story and is like such an important element of it and especially because all the the, the book is set in a very central area of london so even if you've been to london once and have come to visit chances are that you'll know the places because they're very central areas that you'll probably have walked through or past at one point or another. Let's introduce the characters. Good idea. Good idea. Like sort of 
halfway into the episode (laughs) (laughs) which is great which i also realized we have got like a title character again after like rebecca and the great gatsby and now it's mrs dalloway it's like really there's like a theme that it has not been done on purpose that is is true yeah Wait, what is it the same? No, it's not the same for our coming books. This is where the this streak is, yeah, ends. Yeah, this is where it ends. But the first three ones I thought was very funny. Also, again, because kind of the like the title character is like is in the title for once, not like named with her actual name, but like with her husband's last name, which I also think is quite uh, quite interesting because the book isn't called Clarissa. True. Yeah. So it's just this this whole, like, suppression of the title character has become a theme in this podcast. Yeah, and, like, the first sentence is, Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. So she's introduced, only later we are introduced to her as Clarissa. Yes. Um, But then, oh, yeah, oh, this is neat. Because the very last sentence is, it is Clarissa, he said. Mm. for there she was because Clarissa Dalloway as you said she's not actually in the book a lot but she is the framework yeah yeah of the book I'd say but uh but yeah I thought that it was really just going to be Mrs Dalloway's life which it is not at all she starts she features very prominently at the beginning and then again sort of is the clincher of the book I'd say yeah from which kind of uh, all the other characters grow in a way. Exactly. Yeah. But it's interesting that it starts with, we're introduced to Mrs. Dalloway and then at the end it's Clarissa. It's the, yeah. So it's kind of like this, like this development throughout the whole book, which I think is extremely relevant with like the whole memory and identity and yeah. Absolutely. Cool. I like it when stuff is so neat and you're like, oh, I've just realized something as I said it. (laughs) It's like the best thing. That's why it's so good to discuss books. That's like the reason why this here is even happening. Exactly. This is the moment, people. (laughs) Exactly. But um, yeah, this Clarissa Dalloway is a 52-year-old woman who is going to buy flowers at 11 a.m on a nice day which i also think the fact that it's so specifically like 52 year old and how this is kind of also again um emphasized is also going to be important in like her whole journey because obviously it's this um age uh, especially back in the day of like this kind of unfortunate age where you're not like a desirable fertile <laughs> young woman anymore and you kind of start slipping into like this gray zone where you become invisible in quotation marks, which is mm-hmm. obviously awful, but was a fact and is still kind of a fact nowadays. Yeah, I'd say so too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um so yeah, she goes out to buy flowers because she is throwing a party that evening. And that party is sort of as her she's she has a character is a framework but also that um event of the party is mentioned throughout the whole book in a sort of a reference point and then the book actually ends in that said party in the evening and i think that is something that i wrote down in my notes <laughs> or scribbled and it says um the extraordinary in the ordinary mhm 
So basically how a completely ordinary day or task can still trigger something, a bigger picture. That's true. Very true. Um, yeah, then character-wise, we have Richard Dalloway, who is um, Clarissa's husband. He is a politician. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's um, worth noting that the Dalloways very clearly move in a specific circle of 1920s London, which is definitely the upper middle class circle, um, very privileged, very rich. Um, and they have a daughter, Elizabeth, um, who is 17 and who is sort of a very clear teenager. But still, and I think it's sort of in the, in the process of detaching herself from home as well, in a way. Um, which is done via her tutor, Mrs. Miss Kilman, um, who Clarissa does not like very much. And then we have, in a chronological order as well, we meet Hugh, this Hugh Whitbread, um, who meets Clarissa, and she, like, in front of him, feels quite self-conscious and uncomfortable. There is, like, this whole thing about how she feels that her hat it looks stupid, and so that's kind of the first time when you start going into, like, these kind of, like, deeper thoughts. and. Then there is Peter Walsh. He's the complete opposite of like Richard Dalloway because he's this man who has proposed to Clarissa and she declined. And um, he is not part of this kind of high society but has just come back from his travels in India. You kind of start going into his head and like understand and learn a lot about him and how he feels self-conscious and like a failure in front of like the Dalloways and so you kind of see this also like this class difference um because he doesn't belong to the same like high class and that he might still be in love with uh Clarissa and how he kind of starts thinking about or oh, maybe she's still in love with me and this so you kind of start connecting different dots and start making this character net of people again all driven from Clarissa but then ultimately going into like all different kinds of directions i like the phrase net of characters i think that's mm. very nicely put because that's really what it is yeah it's kind of like this string that starts being pulled between people and you kind of realize oh this is like where this person is from and stuff yeah yeah and then you see how they overlap because mm -hmm. peter walsh for example is um a character from clarissa's past because he proposed to her in the past when they were in their 20s, so a good 30 years ago. Um, and that is also sort of the outside trigger that then makes Clarissa think about the past, what had happened. And same with Hugh, who is also a, a friend, an acquaintance from, from their younger times. So basically it is this string of characters or this net of characters of now middle-aged, I'd say, people reflecting on what happened when they were younger and how it affects their life now how their life could have been different yeah which I thought is is very interesting because you have a bit of both worlds and that is exactly where the past and present sort of come to tie in together um and also in while you're reading in that flow of stream of consciousness how it can change from being in the present and Clarissa Dalloway walking in the park 
to suddenly being 30 years earlier in her childhood home, meeting all of these characters when they were young. And yet slowly it starts to make sense how all of these different characters, their lives match together. Um, and I'd say Peter Walsh is, next to Clarissa, I'd say the most prominent narrator as well. Mm-hmm. Or he gets the most um, talking time, yeah, I'd say, yeah. narrative-wise. And he's also, there's a very interesting chemistry between him and Clarissa because they're very familiar with each other. They know each other well. But still, there's this sort of break between them that happened in the past because clearly there was sort of a romantic attachment that then didn't work out because Clarissa married uh, Richard Dalloway. But still, there is a sort of um, spark there, I'd say, especially from Peter Walsh's side, where he keeps saying, oh, but he's not in love. I'm, I'm not in love. And you're like, well, who are you telling, Peter? <laughs> who are you so trying true. to convince? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he, yeah, he, he kind of, it seems like his thoughts are very much like, um, oh yeah, I don't love her, but he kind of obsesses um, about her, which is uh, quite interesting. And at the beginning, we also get introduced to two characters that at the beginning I didn't think were going to be of like any importance, and then turns out, oh yeah, they were, um, which is Septimus who's a war veteran and his Italian wife, Lucrezia, or like Rezia, um, how he calls her. And they get introduced again with like an interrupting action, so to speak, because um, a car backfires somewhere in the background. And he obviously suffers from PTSD and from shell shock. And he kind of starts going into this panic he like has a panic attack basically because obviously he's deeply traumatized and that's how we get introduced i think the two only characters that are not like directly connected to everybody else but are just connected to them like uh, like spatially because they're like in the same space but not because they belong to like the same past or the same circle which i which is why I thought that they weren't going to be of like any importance and then they kind of kept coming back and then I thought, oh, <laughs> I might have to keep them in mind. <laughs> yeah, that's true though. And they also are separate in terms of age, for example, because everyone is sort of thinking about the past and when they were young and Septimus and Lucrezia are basically that age now Yeah, um, yeah. in the present. Um, which in my head they they were old like because everybody else was a bit more of like an advanced age and then also like Septimus and Lucrezia are just very old names so in my head they were just like they were like old like 60 or something but obviously like they weren't it's just yeah association um i think it says somewhere that Lucrezia is 24 mm-hmm. and that she has been married to Septimus for a good few years which I was like, <laughs> yeah, like okay. welcome to the twenties. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but still, though, I think that feeling of that feeling that you had with them being older, it's just because they are clearly characters of the of the times mm-hmm. that are so young but have seen so much already. Very, that's a good point. Yes, which means like especially Septimus with the war, where you have seen something that will haunt you for a lifetime, and. Clearly, the war has not made him old, but it's made him deeply ill and traumatized, as you said. And um, and I think that's why 
you also feel like these people have been th- through so much already that they they are old souls in young people's bodies. That's so true. Yeah. Which yeah. I think might be the case for a lot of people in that generation especially mm-hmm. because you had to grow up in a heartbeat. Yeah. And like do some of like the most unimaginable things. Yeah. True. Exactly. Oh, and actually this might be a good moment as well to sort of give a trigger warning because uh we are going to be talking about suicide um because it does happen in the book so if that is something that triggers you or you don't want to listen to that maybe stop stop now because it is a very central point in the book true um connected to septimus so just to give that to put that out there as a heads up very good yes and my my notes are like just as confused as the stream of consciousness to be honest. <laughs> I just channeled my inner Virginia Woolf and wrote my notes in stream of consciousness too. So um, it's just one long sentence uh, and I can't decipher it. <laughs> Literally. Um, oh, actually someone, a character that is also um, connected to that inner circle of the Dalloways in the past and present is Sally Peters. Oh, yeah. Or Peters. <laughs> yeah. Um, who is... Clarissa's friend um, or best friend I'd say from when she was young and was part of that friendship circle with um, Richard Dalloway, Peter Walsh and uh, Hugh and they definitely had a very strong female friendship which I thought was depicted very nicely even though I thought it was something that quite surprised me is for a book written in 1925 it was quite overtly discussing sexuality as well mm-hmm. yeah that's true which um surpri- which I-, I knew because virginia wolf was definitely ahead of her time mm-hmm. in terms of um everything but yeah i was surprised about that that um because there's very clearly not just a female friendship between sally and clarissa but also a romantic yeah uh, sexual attraction uh which i think is not not just hinted at it's very it's pretty out there. obvious yeah and also, yeah, that's so true. It's kind of, um, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it in like the historic context, but it's true that it's very, like to be in the 20s, it's quite explicit, so to speak. Like it isn't, but for the time, I think. Um, yeah, I think this kind of like sheds another light on like the life of Clarissa, where at the beginning you kind of meet this more like happy person in like I don't know like the ghost of buy flowers and you know it's it's like such a kind of like such a weightless intro and then with these different memories that get sparked by meeting different people and different events you kind of realize you know that uh, obviously she has you know a past that is also deeply sad because it was probably like a relationship that she might have wanted to act on but couldn't and that she must be extremely dissatisfied with like her husband and so you kind of start going more into this whole theme of like this sadness and dissatisfaction with your past life or with your life in general and what you have achieved or what you haven't achieved yeah oh yeah very good point and I think that's a very good point with the whole looking back on life and seeing what you've achieved or what you haven't achieved and I think that ties in directly with the age of the characters as well that sort of midlife crisis moment I'd guess um where 
um yeah it's very much it, it's funny because it's that thing that we talked about yesterday just between the two of us oh of yeah like true being scared of doing stuff now that we're younger but then being afraid that we would um we would regret it when we're older of not having tried something or acted on it or maybe taken a leap mm-hmm. uh, to change something about our lives or to try something new um and it was funny that we talked about that just out of context between the two of us because that is something that is relevant in our lives um that was then directly reflected in this book that I was reading the same afternoon. I was like, oh yeah, these characters have a lot of regret or what, it's very much that thing of being at a crossroads in your life and then thinking what would have happened if I had taken the other road. Yeah, that's so, that's very true. And also kind of like, I think, I think with Peter, that was um, the most apparent where he kind of keeps asking himself if like Clarissa thinks he's a failure or the Dalloways in general perceive him as a failure because he hasn't like achieved the same things and because you know he went traveling in India and it's like these kind of also that comparing your life to somebody else's life and you know kind of feeling like you don't fit and questioning your own decisions and how they have affected the whole course of your life which yeah I think is an extremely relevant thing for both of us at the moment in general I think you know to kind of uh, see which direction you're steering into but these people are like already in the direction they're not like in the position to steer it anymore especially I mean in the 20s I think once you reach the age of 50 there weren't many ways to change direction of your life whereas now obviously we have a lot more opportunities which is also Mm -hmm. nice to know (laughs) yeah and I think especially that's the case for the the female characters in the book Mm -hmm. because you can definitely see how the male characters have more they have more action or they have more uh, choices where they can sort of shape their their life outside of the home too whereas with Clarissa um, and even Sally it's very clear that they made their decision when they were in their 20s about who they were going to marry and what life they were going to have. And that sort of was the preset for the the rest of their lives. So that is sort of the, the choice they made. And now they live with that choice. But it's going to have an effect on their life until they die, basically. Whereas I think it's definitely clear that the men have a lot more action also politically to change something. Peter Walsh being able to travel, emigrating to, to India and sh- building a life, basically. Even though he's struggling with that and has a lot of self-doubt. But it's still that sort of thing of it being a possibility. Whereas I think Clarissa, especially, we have a lot of insight into her um, insecurities as well in terms of her physical body and how it's decaying so also the the sort of um physical aspect of getting old or aging um where it's very clear that uh I mean I mean I don't think any of the male characters have the same thought process in the book as her where she's very aware of how she looks and compares herself to different people that's very that's so true actually and I yeah I don't think anybody else does that except for her she's that's that was a very interesting thing to read also because I I kind of didn't expect it and then like the first time I think she went on that tangent about how she felt stupid in her hat and like all of these kind of small things where 
they're also somewhat relatable you know if you kind of I don't know meet somebody and maybe you're like dressed a bit strange because you I don't know didn't think about that when you left the house and then also like this kind of spiral of how weird then you feel around that person yeah I think that was extremely apparent in Clarissa Mm -hmm. and one of the interesting things that I thought that I really enjoyed about having insight into different characters heads was really that thing of it's very much a story or a book about people's opinions of each other Mm -hmm. and as a result, you you as a reader know people's thoughts about each other because you have insight into what they're thinking. And I thought it was it, this was really interesting to read because that is definitely something that I personally struggle with when I meet people where I think, oh, what is their opinion of me? Are they judging me? That kind of mm-hmm. social aspect of, of a fear as well, you know, where you think, oh, I'm not, how are they perceiving me? What's other people's perception of me? Does it fit my own perception? All of that thing that is very nicely broken down in the book where, for example, um, and also people are quite harsh in the book yeah, with each other, yeah. in their thoughts, never yes. on the outside because it's very, um, everyone's very nice and um, well-mannered. Yeah, exactly. The whole thing is super polite and then you kind of go back into their head. <laughs> it's just mayhem. Um, I think there's a really good moment where Clarissa meets Peter Walsh after he's arrived from India and they have that sort of uh, half an hour meeting or so where they really catch up about what has happened in their, in their lives. And Clarissa is immediately obsessed with how she looks and if maybe he thinks that she's aged or she looks old, sort of tying in with the whole being paranoid about aging and the physical mm-hmm. aspect of it. Um, and we have her side thinking, oh, I wonder, I fear that he looks that I've gotten old. And as a reader... I think it's you can relate to that very well, or at least I could, of that mm-hmm. th- sort of immediate thought of like, oh, how do I look? How do I appear to someone else? And then on the next line, we have Peter Wall's, um thought, which is, oh, she's gotten old, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was yeah. so harsh. And at the same time, such a refreshing reading experience because you immediately have the whole picture of the, of the scene but then at the same time gives you that satisfaction of knowing more than the characters. Yeah, yeah, which is, that's so true, yeah. And it's it's also, I think it's quite interesting because it also seemed like, I think in Clarissa's head, like the whole thing is tied to like, obviously something extremely negative of how she looks and how, you know, she thinks, oh no, how do I come across? And do I look old? And does this hat look stupid? And do I look stupid? And all of these thoughts. And then... Peter is like oh she's gotten old because like she has or you because like it's kind of like this an inevitable thing like you're gonna get old anyway and he just in a way just makes an observation mm-hmm. that is like it probably does have judgment behind it just because of the nature of like when it was written and the Peter also doesn't seem to be like the nicest of people in general but um but in, in theory, it's just like an observation. If you don't see somebody for, for like five years or like 10 years and then you see them, you just think, oh, yeah, like they've gotten older, which is like, oh, no shit, Sherlock. I mean, I don't think so, they had Botox in a 20s. So if you exactly. did look like your 20-year-old self at 50, that would be hell of a strange. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's also like this, obviously, you're going to tie everything in like to yourself in an extremely negative way. And then the other person is like, lol, you old. And it's technically just an observation. 
which you you really get a lot of insight into the human nature i'd say yeah of how people think and also stuff that people focus on you know the very Mm -hmm. everyday small things that are sort of in a way blown out of proportions when you in your thoughts spiral of thoughts you know how you especially with clarissa dalloway how you make something very big that is actually that is actually not noticeable to other people necessarily Mm -hmm. yeah um which I think was very contrasted with this other sort of separate story of Septimus and Lucrezia, who are definitely struggle with something that is huge um, and is sort of made smaller by everyone around them, you know, how yes. it's looked at. So on the one hand, we have this everyday life of someone who is making the smallest things fairly big um in terms of thoughts events etc and then on the other hand we have this other life that is completely off the rails with a huge difficulty and struggling with mental illness that is not really noticed by other people or not taken seriously by other people because i also i I think like you when you jump between these scenes where septimus and lucretia are like in the park and they are being seen by i think it's peter and then he kind of just like sees them as this couple that are in love while they're just, you know, two young people that are struggling with some of the worst things ever, like Septimus with the whole PTSD and Lucretia that is there by his side and like lives it probably. And Peter just kind of sees them and uh, like, not that this is a quote, but things like, ooh, two people in love. <laughs> and it's like... This is actually well. a direct quote from the book. This is how Virginia Woolf wrote it. <laughs> Which would be just great. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's also very interesting again to see this, uh, how like the exterior doesn't tell you anything and you need to be in the head of somebody to understand what's going on in their life. And I think that's um, shown very well with kind of this, uh, these two different groups of people and how yeah they are like being within their high society circle and are like worried about this party and you know about their past loves and relationships and how they kind of just look at a young couple and think oh they're cute and then you kind of jump into that couple and it's just terror basically so I think yeah that's a very good way to show how the appearances don't tell you half as much as like this inner dialogue which I think is also a very good comment by Virginia Woolf on like the society of then in general and kind of this um and even still now to be honest and now yeah because it's just yeah it's the like appearances don't really matter because the important stuff happens inside and that's a very good way to show it firsthand on two sets of characters yeah and I think Mm. it's also commented on how difficult it is to take that inside on the outside because I think there's a lot of moments in the book where characters would like to act on feelings or would like to bring that inside monologue and those sentiments outside but can't for example when Richard Dalloway buys flowers for Clarissa as a gesture of love um but then repeatedly thinks oh I can't tell her that I love her I can't say it out loud but I will try to show it with these flowers and you can tell because it's repeated several times how he's struggling with that thing of I can't take my feelings from the outside and make them seen or heard. 
So it's that sort of mitigating way of making something known, but not being able to speak about it directly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, which I think is a, a, a comment on just how difficult it is to... I mean, this is a very clear example, but in general, also for Septimus, how he's unable to talk about the mayhem that's going on inside also Lucretia struggling with not really knowing what's going on which I think was is really interesting in their case because now uh, as in quotes modern readers and knowing a lot more about mental health and like trauma in particular we know exactly what is going on with Septimus he has visions he has panic attacks he um his voices, which is very clearly triggered from, as we now know, shell shock from the First World War. Um, and just, yeah, as you said, very clear PTSD. Um, but at that point, no one knows. Yeah, exactly. He's just kind of, I think, uh, when his psychiatrist kind of finds out that he had tried to kill himself in the past, he just kind of puts him on bed rest and... It's just obviously like these kind of superficial ways to treat something like that because you just didn't know enough about it to be able to, you know, treat it in the right way. And yeah, I think that's also a very good point about how Septimus and also Mr. Uh, Mr. Richard Dalloway, in a way, can't express themselves and their inner feelings, which obviously just comes back to this uh, whole concept of how men you know, should act in a society and can't show feelings and this whole kind of concept of toxic masculinity and how it's just this very unhealthy circle that in the end is not going to get anyone further along, but just kind of keeps them where they are and kind of perpetuates this misery that then kind of comes from it. And I think the sort of... um the the peak of the story is when um Septimus actually does commit suicide and throws himself out of the window which was a really difficult passage to read mm-hmm. um because it was very sudden and it yeah. the way it was described was in a very calm way and a very it was the only passage that I felt was described very objectively and very matter yeah. of fact which is uh, until I had to go back in the passage to realize, oh, he he's now passed away. Same, same. I had to read that. Like, I didn't, the first time I read it, I hadn't realized what had happened. I was like, I was so confused with the whole, like with the whole actions because they just happened so quickly while the rest of the book was kind of this whole day felt like a year kind of, <laughs> of like what happened. And then suddenly he, you know, he just like jumps out and I I had to go back like twice and read it again to actually realize oh like he's ended his life now which I think was very like it was very effective because it kind of like shocked me Mm -hmm. very deeply I actually have a bit of goosebumps now because it like it took me so much by surprise because I had no idea and so it was very like oh like this kind of a realization of how bad his pain was while you kind of before kept reading about like all of these other people and their problems and like Hugh Whitbread that was looking at shoes and their like high society problems and then suddenly like this happens and time kind of just stopped a little bit. 
Yeah, and actually thinking about it now, I feel like it's like you said that the whole day sort of stretches out like a piece of gum. You know, yeah. it's just a, sort of stretches forever and ever, and all of these small everyday things are given so much space, and then this huge thing happens that has an impact on so many people's lives, on Lucrezia's life, who has to watch her husband uh, commit suicide. It's just, it's like a, a sudden break in the whole story and happens in I don't know two paragraphs whereas yeah I I don't know Clarissa Dalloway's um thoughts about I don't know how she looks in her hat is given two pages you know (laughs) yeah yeah. and first I was really taken aback by that and thought how rude to give you know I was like a bit Mm -hmm. upset that I was like how rude to not give this moment more space but then actually thinking about it now it's also in the structure of the book which clearly you can tell Virginia Woolf I'm going to say has taken a lot of time thinking about that very clearly because it's a very structured and thought about book in the sense of how you give the 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 book a narrative Mm -hmm. so thinking about how that is so quick and short also maybe actually is just a comment on life stretching out and everyone being concerned with their individual small things and then suddenly death hits you yeah yeah very much so because it's it's so true it's like there there is so much space given to these mundane things where you just mm-hmm. think oh just get over your stupid feather hat <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end you kind of get to this moment that is just so tragic and it's like this instant and that kind of describes it very well because it it is an instant there is nothing to like in theory like stretch out about because it's just one action and a very quick one and so yeah I think that's I think it just made it so effective and it kind of like really like made me stop reading for a bit like I just had to like yeah yeah, let that sit for a moment yeah it's not an easy thing to Mm -hmm. to read and then also because that is basically with Septimus's death that is basically where the the narrative um of Lucrezia and him stops we don't hear about how she's processing the the trauma or how she's doing afterwards their story sort of ends we do hear about them again though which it sort of comes full circle at Clarissa's party at the end of the book because Septimus's psychiatrist who also obviously clearly moves in those upper class circles is invited to the party and Clarissa overhears how he talks about that one of his patients that has committed suicide today and Clarissa really gives that a lot of thought and is very upset in a way how that person has dragged death into her party, which is very lighthearted and enjoyable. And so I think not just for the reader reading about um, Septimus's death, but also throughout the whole story, his character sort of brings in the mortality into everyday mm-hmm. life. Yes. Um, yeah, which I think is very clearly shown with Clarissa then thinking in a very enjoyable moment of her throwing her party and being very chuffed about how it's gone so well and then suddenly that story of Septimus who she doesn't know um even though they crossed paths walking in London so that's very nice because you can that the characters do meet or like Peter Walsh seeing Septimus in the park but they don't know each other it's just that net that is drawing 
more closely and you as a reader know who the individual people are, which I think is a very satisfying read. That's that's something I love about a story or just a certain plot line is when so many paths cross and you know but like not not the characters in the story are not aware of it but like to kind of yeah so you understand that like everything is kind of interconnected and again you never know what's going on with like somebody that you might have just seen in the Mm -hmm. park yeah and uh, yeah i think it's just that it was very um harrowing in a way to read about how that character brings in the mortality and how also Clarissa then suddenly realizes how insignificant her party is in a way um yeah what what is your what is your overall like what's going to stay with you from 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 the story I'm very curious to know that's a very that's very that's a very difficult question I think it's definitely like a story that considering the nature of how it's written and that it isn't like i mean it is very linear it is extremely linear because it's like the time frame and stuff but i think it's like one i will remember really well whereas something else that i might have read that is that follows a lot more of like a classic plot line with different characters and like a very obvious plot i will forget like 5 minutes after i've read it i won't remember what the people are called but this one is like just kind of stayed with me and it it like it's very difficult to describe because i always associate certain like feelings with books and when i look at this book it evokes like a very specific feeling when i remember it and this one has like kind of generated a new feeling when i've read it and i kind of want to read more stuff like that so i'm going to like probably like read my way through her whole bibliography in general because i enjoyed it a lot which i honestly did not expect like i didn't expect to not like it i just expected to be more neutral about it but but i enjoyed it a lot because it was such an interesting way to write something and i think it just kind of also made me realize that i enjoy like character studies way more than i enjoy plot which i hadn't thought about it up until this book but like thinking back the majority of books i really enjoy are completely driven by the characters and not by the plot itself yeah i i i'd agree with that yeah what what do you think how did how did it leave you i think very similar to you actually i think what's going to stay with me is just that study of humans basically and how I mean there's so many passages that I underlined that I just thought oh that is such a clever thought or or I can relate to that and you know especially those things of um judgment of other people's lives or the fear of other people judging your life and your choices um or your thoughts and I think that is just as you said, it's something that is timeless because, of course, this book is given a very clear frame of being set in a specific time in a historical context, a city um, that is not as it is today. We'll, we live in very different times. But I think in the end, human nature never changes. Yeah, yeah. So all of those thoughts about jealousy and 
love and what it means and especially that feeling of being scared of where life takes you and which choices take you where um and the past sort of coming in to to haunt you for a little bit I think that is something that everyone every single person has struggles with Mm -hmm. whether they live in the 1700s in 1920 or in the 2020s um and that is definitely what stays with me and which is also what I remember from reading to the lighthouse because again that is given a very clear structure and frame but it's just her focus on the characters and how their interior monologues just really resonate in a way not always but a lot of it does and I think that is just that is definitely why this book is read again and again and again yeah yeah that's so that's very true I think we can close with that this very yeah me too this was a very fulfilling discussion I must say yeah it's one of those where a lot of things have come alive and come and I've realized Mm -hmm. while talking yeah and I think it was also one of those books that need like I had the need to discuss it wasn't like I would have been left I would have felt a bit unsettled if I hadn't been able to talk about it it's one that needs to be shared and talked about yes thank you very much for listening yeah and next week we'll be discussing little women which is our first title that doesn't have a name in it so that's a first (laughs) which is good (laughs) and it is kind of to celebrate um the film coming out uh i think on like dvd or in general on like uh platforms that aren't the cinema um so i'm very much looking forward to watching the film again and i think we will um kind of dedicate a bigger chunk to it also in our episode about like talking about the film and how it compares to the book because uh yeah we both have quite a lot of opinions on that definitely so this is the first book um that the randomizer didn't choose we completely lied to you (laughs) but we just thought it would be quite nice to talk about the book as the film comes out so we sort of squeezed that one in and it's also one that I think is close to both of our hearts as a story so which is why we've done this look it's our podcast so we can do (laughs) whatever the hell we want (laughs) it's all a big lie (laughs) exactly that's that's the beauty of it um, but yeah, so really looking forward to that. Um, coming back to Mrs. Dalloway, let us know what you think. Um, if you had similar thought processes as we do, let us let us see a bit of your interior monologue. Um, and let us know on Instagram at Through the Pages Pod. Exactly. So thank you very much for listening, and hear you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.